Hey, now, if you consider Watts Bar Community Church, if you consider this place, now, now I'm not saying have you made it official as a member, because th those things, if you know me, those don't matter to me. If you call this place your home church, raise your hand. Yeah, yeah I like the excitement. <laughs> uh, be enthusiastic about it. Let's try it again. If you, and, and if you're online, hey, Throw up a wild emoticon, emoji, you know, one of the little dancing or whatever. But if you call this, you consider this your home church, are you excited to call it your home church? Yeah. Well, that being said, Denise and I will be resigning at the end of this. No, I was just joking. I want to leave on a high note. I'm not like Tom Brady. Hey, let's go out on a high note. No, I'm just hoping he does. Anyway, let's move on. Um, Here's why I'm asking that. We are one week away from kicking off our summer concert series. If you, yeah. If you've never been a part of it, uh, you're in for a treat. Uh, unless you're really, really religious, then you're probably not going to enjoy it that much. Uh, and if you're really, really religious, you probably won't hang out here very long anyway. Uh, but it, it's, it's one of those events where we, we create an environment. Where you say, hey man, I'm, I'm going to invite my friends. They're doing, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm so excited about the song we're opening this up with next week. It, it's a song that, man, was big in, when I was younger. Uh, so we're going to do some old school, maybe kind of new wave-ish uh, stuff. It's going to be a fun, fun week next week. But we were one week away from that. And we were actually supposed to kick that off today. And I felt like God said, no, put it off a week. Because I really want you to tell you, the people here, why we do what we do. Why we do, we, we don't just do things to stir up controversy. Or uh, as they say uh, in Europe, controversy. Or how they, Jimmy Fallon does it better. I can't remember how he says it. But anyway, we're not, no, we do things, everything has a purpose. We're, we, we're driven with the purpose that God has given us. And so that, that today, man, this set the table, set a table, it's going to kind of show you what, we, what is expected out of you as a follower of Jesus. Because you know God didn't just save you so that you could join a Sunday country club. You've got a purpose. You've got a purpose. Uh, this, this past week, um, our, we had our in, entire family in town. Uh, Josh, April, the grandbabies from Memphis, uh, our normal uh, crew there at the house, Sheridan, Bo, the grandkids, Juno and Sonny. We had Kennedy and Tyler. We had Zion up uh, and, and all at the house. And, and, and for a staycation, or as Casey called it, going to Palooza is what he called it. So, uh, But we shared a lot of meals around the table. Sometimes it was breakfast. Sometimes it was lunch. Sometimes it was dinner. Shared a lot of meals. But I remember one evening, man, sitting there um, around the table. All my kids there, all our kids there, all our grandkids there. And I thought, we are blessed. We're blessed. And, and, and now, now, I'll tell you this. We can be a hard bunch of people to take. Because we are very loud. Uh, we're a loud family. Who said that? She wouldn't know she's hardly there anymore. <laughs> That's our good friend, Jane. She lived with us for a long time. 
too long. But now it's gone. No, no, no. <laughs> I love those looks, Jim. Uh, but man, I, I sit around here and I thought, hey, we, we're loud, but you, the Goinses are loud, but then you add the Samuels, they take our loudness to a whole nother level. And man, we sit around the table, and, and, and the thing is, man, when you sit around the table, you talk about different things. You learn some things. Uh, we talked about Zion's friend, who happened to be a girl, but not girlfriend. We talked about that situation. Uh, we, we talked about, uh, we laughed at things that have been said or done in the past together. We, we talked about, uh, we played games around the table. And then the, I think what took control of the game was, then we debated the rules of the game around the table. And when we debate, it's an actual debate. I mean, I'm pulling out scripture just to prove my point in a secular game. And I'm like, you can't argue with God. It's what the Bible says. But they did, the heathens. Um, I said all that to say this, and my main point that we're going to hone in today, if you'll bring this up for me, don't underestimate the power of sharing a table. Don't underestimate it. Things happen at a shared table. Conversations are had, are started. Ideas get hatched at a shared table. Memories are made. Stories get told. Even stories you wish weren't told get told at a shared table. Bonds can get stronger. Walls can be broken down in relationships. Misunderstandings can get resolved at a shared table. Don't underestimate the power of a shared table. You create connection. Uh, with, with that in mind, I want to jump into today's scripture. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't, uh, as Casey likes to call it, the Sky Bible, it will appear up there on the Sky Bible. Um, but Jesus, uh, uh, leading up to where we're going to jump in, Jesus has just preached his most famous message, the Sermon on the Mount. He's healing people, and he's gathering his disciples, gathering them up, and he comes across a young man by the name of Matthew. And that's where we're going to jump in today, Matthew 9, starting with verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Matthew got up and followed him. Let's stop there. Matthew was a tax collector. And if you've got bad thoughts or feelings toward tax collectors today, we'll multiply that by 10. Because they hated, Jewish people hated Jewish tax collectors. They counted them as traitors. If you've never heard me talk about this, because what Rome would do, Rome would hire Jewish people to collect taxes from their own people, send them back to their neighborhoods, and Rome would say, hey, here's how much taxes or, or uh, uh, have the people have to pay. And then the Jewish tax collectors, to make their money, well, they would charge abundantly above that. And they would take advantage of the people. Okay, so it's not really different that much from tax collectors today. Okay, so, <laughs> little humor if you're a tax collector. Hey, we love all sinners. Uh, but, <laughs> but they hate them. But Jesus, a rabbi, Goes up to a known tax collector. Uh, they, in fact, get this. Tax collectors were even in, they weren't even considered sinners. They were worse than sinners. The Bible would say tax collectors and sinners. And sinners. But Jesus goes up to this known tax collector. Says two words. Follow me. And then this amazes me. 
Matthew gets up and follows him. Two words. It, it, I mean, does that not amaze anybody else here? That Matthew is at work. He makes good money. Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, follow me. Matthew puts up a sign out of business, gets up and follows Jesus. To me, that, that's amazing. What happened in those two words, in that brief moment, that caused Matthew to leave his livelihood to follow Jesus? I personally think that Matthew had gotten used to the looks and the stares by his own people. Words being said about him behind his back. Insults being hurled his way. Being called a traitor. He would got used to the feeling that I just don't fit in even with my own people. Then out of nowhere, one of his own people, but not just a Jew, a Jewish rabbi, comes by, doesn't insult him, doesn't look down upon him, doesn't talk bad about him behind his back, but says Jesus saw him. And I believe this is really the first time that Matthew has been seen by anyone. Really seen. Because most people, when they looked at Matthew, all they saw was tax collector, traitor. But Jesus didn't see that. Jesus saw Matthew the man. I wonder how many people do we pass by every day that we don't really see. We put our head down, just try to walk by them without being noticed, and don't really see them. We don't, we don't really look and say, hey, I see you. I care about you. Hey, I, I, how many missed opportunities do we walk by daily simply because we're too busy doing something else that we don't see them? See them. You remember when somebody saw you as more than just an addict, as a sinner? as a heathen, as, as a divorcee, as an alcoholic. Do you remember when someone saw you for more than that? that, 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 that that's what they said. They saw you. In, in Matthew 13, uh, we're going to move around a little bit. In Matthew 5, 13, uh, Jesus is talking to his followers, and he says this, Matthew 5, 13, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning, that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Why would Jesus tell, hey, you're, if you're a follower of mine, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt. You, what, what do you mean? Why, why does he say you're to be salt? You don't see this a lot anymore, especially with COVID. And, and I don't know recently, maybe some of you do, but if you go out to a bar, do you remember when they put pretzels or chips out and they were free? You sit up there and you could eat them. Do you know why they did that? Because they were high in salt content and it made you thirsty. And that brings me to my next point. Salt creates thirst. What was Jesus saying? You should be making people thirsty. Come on now. You should be creating thirst at work. Not a thirst trap. I'm actually going to talk about that in a few weeks. Because you know what a thirst trap is. I actually looked up the definition. 
to make sure it, it is a picture that is posted uh, that that uh, sexually most times it's posted sexually but there is no gratification it makes you think you can have something that you will never get which is what sin is makes you think you're going to get something that you never really get and then when you do get it it ain't what you thought it was you got catfished by sin that's a difference let's, let's move on you should be creating thirst for God and for changing your life at work, at school, at the park. If you're just out playing ba basketball, and I'm not talking about where you're standing on a street corner or, or every time you meet up with your friends, you're quoting five, five, six scriptures. No, I'm talking about the way you live your life should create a thirst where people say, man, what is it that's different about you? Well, what's going on? And I believe that's what happened here. I believe there was something in Jesus, Matthew saw, that created a thirst that said, man, I'm willing to leave it all because I want that. Whatever he's got in offering, I want that. And Jesus said, follow me. And there, Matthew didn't, it doesn't say Matthew thought about, well, let me, let me weigh up the pros and cons. Matthew got up and followed Jesus. I have to ask you guys, are you living your life in such a way that makes people thirsty for what they see in your life? Marriages. Are your marriages responding as a couple? Are you responding in such a way where people say, man, I want that kind of marriage. Mom and dads, are you responding as parents where people look on and say, whatever it is they're doing, man, whatever it is, I, I want that. Are we living our lives in such a way that it makes them thirsty to see why things are different in your life? Jesus says, hey, let me tell you why you're here. You wonder what your purpose is? You're here to be salt. He doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 14. You're also here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you here, there on a hilltop. Where are we at, Watts Bar? On a hilltop. Now that I've put you there, shine. Shine. I don't doubt that this, this, this house is filled with believers. I don't doubt that for one minute. I don't question your salvation. I just wonder how many of us, since our light has been lit, that we've put it in our bucket. And the only time that light comes out is when we walk through the church doors or we walk through the church function. Jesus says, you're here to be light. Bring out the God. See, here's the thing about light. Not only does the light enable others to see, it enables me to see. And I'm wondering if a lot of the reasons we walk by these opportunities that God is putting in our path and we don't see the people that God is putting in our path is because we simply don't have our light out. I wonder how many missed opportunities because we simply don't have our light out. Can I tell you this world is waiting for people that love Jesus and that love people like Jesus love them to turn their light on so they can see the way. 
Jesus says you're here to be salt. You're here to be light. You're here to make people thirsty for God help and help them see. That, that's why you and I, that's why the church exists. You understand that right? But the church, we've gotten so far off track of what we were originally intended to be. Um, Bill Johnson, in his book, The Way of Life, the book taking our, our passes through right now, he, ta he talks about this church that was building this new building. And the pastor of that church wanted so desperately to help build the church. He had no carpentry skills, nothing. He didn't know anything about that. And he kept asking the, the, uh, the um, contractor, hey, give me something to do. Give me something to do. Find the contractor. Say, hey, listen, one of you said, listen, tomorrow we're going to be building this wall. I'm going to need 100 two-by-fours cut eight foot in length. Can you do that? The pastor's like, I am on it. He got his little working pouch out there, got his measure tape, got his saw. I don't, I'm not sure if uh, Leo's making uh, laps. Or <laughs> so. He gets his saw out. He takes his measure, marks the eight-foot mark, cuts it. Then he puts his measure tape away. Takes the one he just cut, Puts it on top of the next board. Marks it. Cuts it. Takes that new freshly cut board. Puts it on the next one. And then marks it, cuts it. Does this. Replaces it every time. That's okay if it's only two or three boards. But after a hundred boards, that, that, that hundredth uh, two by four is now nine feet long. And I think that's what we've done with the church. The original measuring stick was this. Be salt. Be light. Go make people thirsty. And now the measuring stick is this. Hey, it's not my job to win people. That's somebody else's responsibility. That's the pastor's responsibility. That's so-and-so. I can't tell you the number of times. And people think it's rude, but it's not. But they'll come up to me and say, Hey, pastor, God has really laid so-and-so in my heart. Uh, um, to, to, for them to be saved, would, would you go talk to them? I say, no. God didn't lay them on my heart. He laid them on your heart. Go. Come on. Come on. Go do something. But we've taken the original measuring stick where Jesus said, hey, hey, let me tell you why you're here. Be salt. Be light. And now the modern day church is, let me tell you why you're here. So I can make you feel good about yourself. So we can entertain you. And it don't worry if you get mad. You can go to the next church down the road because there's a hundred within driving distance of us. The only problem is some of you have been to four or five different churches and the only common denominator in all the churches you got mad left is you. I, well, that, we haven't taken up offering yet. So let me... See, the first century church, they were ecstatic about Jesus. They risked everything to follow him. And they understood, hey, if we're salt and light in this dynamic, it could cost us dearly. But it's worth it. It's worth it because of what Jesus has done for me. It's worth it. I'm telling you guys, we've got to get back to the original measurement that Jesus laid out when he said, be salt, be light. Are we making people thirsty for what we have? 
Are we shining our light in such a way that people can see Jesus? Jesus looked at Matthew and uttered two words. Follow me. And Matthew followed him. Let's continue with this for verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, I love this, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, goes to a known tax collector's home, sits down at a table and eats, and what happens? Many other tax collectors and sinners joined him. Joined him. And well, here's what you need to understand about every table that Jesus ever sat at is this. Grace marked every table Jesus sat at. Grace marked every table he sat at. Do you know why these tax collectors were so comfortable sitting there with Jesus when, when all the other Jewish religious leaders didn't want anything to do with them? Because grace marked every table that Jesus sat at. And I'll even say this, grace even marked the table he sat at the night before he was arrested. The Lord's Supper, grace marked the table. What do you, what do you, what do you mean? You do realize that on his way out to betray Jesus, Jesus knowing Judas was going to betray him, Jesus washed his feet. You do realize that knowing Peter was going to deny him, the other disciples were going to run and, and just leave him hanging. Jesus washed their feet. Why? Because grace marked every table Jesus sat at. Every table. Every table. Jesus sits down and begins to share a meal with Matthew and what the Bible says many other tax collectors and sinners in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? To which they responded, why not? No, they didn't say that. But here's what you've got to understand. While Jesus is welcoming to the sinners, he is so frustrating to the religious. The sinners sat at the table feeling welcome, while the religious sat on the outside frustrated that Jesus was doing something that shouldn't be done by a rabbi. Pharisees and religious leaders hear that Jesus and the disciples are sharing a meal with these known sinners. They go check it out for themselves. They show up at Matthew's house. Sure enough, what they heard is true. Jesus is sitting there at the same table with Matthew and the other tax collectors and sinners. And one of the Pharisees pulls uh, pull one of the disciples aside and was like, is this what the church has become? Are you serious? This is what we're doing now? We're eating with people like this? Is this really, we're playing secular music in the church right now? We're putting on dramas right now? Is that what the church has become? We're using, are, are you serious? This is what the church has become. And Jesus overhears, I hope you understand that's not what they said, but, but that's what we get today. Because I believe people are frustrated by the way God has called us to do ministry. And Jesus is so welcoming to sinners, yet so frustrated to the religious. He hears this going on, and here's his response in verse 12. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And he says this. He quotes an old passage from Hosea 6.6. 6, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, 
not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The message says this, I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle the insider. What's Jesus saying here? John Piper, a pastor, author, theologian, says this. He says, Jesus is quoting Hosea 6, 6, where God tells the people that their love has become like dew on, on grass. In other words, it's there for a moment, for a passing hour, but then as it dwindles, it's gone. It vanishes. The point God was making in Hosea and the point Jesus is making here is that he wants his people, he wants us to, to, to be alive in our hearts, not just performing some religious duties. He wants us to be alive in our hearts, not just show up on Sunday morning. Come on. He wants us to be alive in our heart. Jesus was bothered by, bothered by the fact that all these Pharisees could see was Jesus contaminating himself by eating with sinners. They were so proud of themselves. They knew the law. They knew they, they kept themselves clean. Ceremony. But the problem was those things became more important to them than the actual people they were called to minister to. In other words, they were enslaved to following the rules when something much bigger was at stake here. See, here's a fact, and this is if you're taking notes. How we love people is a reflection of how we love God. How we love people really reflects how much we love God. Because I think God, man, appreciates our love for Him. I, pre I think he appreciates when we show our love for him, but I think it's a big deal to God of how we love people. And if we don't love people, then we don't understand the heart of God. You want to show God that you love him? Love what he loves. Loves those he loves. And I, contrary to popular belief, the ones that Jesus loved don't look exactly like you. Come on. See, the problem here was while the Pharisees and religious leaders saw sinners and tax collectors, Jesus called people that needed, Jesus saw people that needed to be loved. Jesus saw people that needed to be seen. People that were sick and that he had to cure for them. See, it's not enough to come to church every Sunday. It's not even enough to read your Bible every day. It's not enough to show up at Monday night prayer. You can do all those things and more and still be a jerk to the clerk down at the local convenience store. Come on. You can do all those things and still be the biggest jerk at your school or at work. It matters how we love people. We can have the truth, but if not delivered correctly... Anybody remember the Cosby Show? Man, I, I love the Cosby Show. I don't care what anybody says about it. I still watch it today. I love the Cosby. But there was one episode where Vanessa comes home with her fiance. And, and, and uh, Heathcliff and his wife, they don't like this guy at all. One, because they didn't even know she had a boyfriend, much less close enough to someone to have a fiance. And, and it's clear that they do not like her fiance. And so the, the, the boyfriend thinks it's because he's blue-collar, that he's not wealthy. Uh, so Heathcliff sits down and has a conversation with him. 
And, and, and this is how it turns out. I want to tell you, he says, I want to tell you why we don't like you. Check this out. I don't want you to leave this house saying that we don't like you because you are a maintenance man or, or charge of maintenance or, or, or whatever. I mean, you could right now, sitting there, be a banker, and we would not like you at all. <laughs> it's the way... That, you, you have a favorite food? Yes, sir. Uh, what you had here was fine. I especially enjoyed the uh, fish sticks. No, no, forget the fish sticks. I mean, do you do you have a favorite food, something that you, you really, you know, love? Oh, yeah. On occasion, I enjoy a nice, juicy steak. 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 There you go. We got the steak. Now, just imagine we got the porterhouse. Okay. Porterhouse and, and no white lines in it at, at all. Yeah. Now, what would you like to go along with it? Oh, uh, uh, some crispy potatoes. No problem. <laughs> now, you got mushrooms. Mushrooms. Yeah. You, you like your mushrooms? Yes, sir. You can smell it, can't you? Yeah. Can you smell the potatoes? Yes, sir. Smell the mushrooms. Yes, sir. Sauteed. Smell good. Mm, boy. Mm -hmm. Huh? Yes, sir. All right. Now, I'm going to present it to you, right? I go over. I don't get a, a plate. Uh -huh. I take the garbage can lid, and I turn it upside down after taking it off of the garbage can. I take your steak, your potatoes, and your sautéed mushrooms, and I give it to you. Not too appetizing, is it? It's in the presentation. That's the way she brought you here, on a garbage can lid. <laughs> Wow, that's funny. Sadly, that's the way the church has been presenting Jesus to people. We've got something beautiful, something great, and we bring it to people to deliver on a trash can lid. And because of that, we become known, instead of being known for our love, we become known for our rules. Instead of being known for what we're for, who we're for, we've become known for everything we're against. Instead of being known for a place, uh, a people where ever, uh, a people where everyone's welcome, we become known as a private club where you have to dress a certain way, know the lingo, know the songs, and then you you feel welcome. We've got this incredible truth, church. This life-changing message. But here's the thing. Your point, next point is presentation matters. Presentation matters. The gospel, man, has been presented with this holier-than-thou demeanor that makes people sick at their stomach. We present it with hatefulness. Come on, we present it with bad attitudes. We present it with pride and arrogance. But presentation matters. How we love others and how we present that love and that truth matters. Every table Jesus sat at was marked and presented with grace. Every table we, we, we sit at and the tables we set for people and invite them to come in, it's got to be marked with grace. It's got to be presented with grace. Do you remember the first time that you sat at the table and the presentation was grace? Come on, let's be real. You weren't always clean. You couldn't always say you're an ex-addict. You, you, you couldn't, uh, you, you didn't always date only one person at a time. Come on. You didn't always wake up and remember what you did the night before. 
You didn't always make more good decisions than you did bad decisions. You didn't always tell the truth. See, here's the thing, guys. I am fully aware that the only reason I am standing here today is because the presentation given to me was God's grace. If it were not for God's grace, I would not be here today. And many of you, if you're honest, if not for God's grace, you wouldn't be here yourself. So if that is, if that is the truth about us and God's grace for us, what right, do we not, what right do we have to not welcome outsiders into our table and present it with grace? Presentation matters. And the second thing that matters, temperature matters. I remember, uh, and listen, I don't care whether you're pro, anti-vaccine on this or whatever. This is just to make a point, so don't get on your high horse with me. When COVID vaccines started coming out, remember the biggest issue, keeping animals certain temperature. Because if they, if they were out above that temperature very long, it didn't matter if you gave it to the person, the vaccine was ineffective. We've got the right medicine. We've got the right vaccine for the world. But it must be delivered at the right temperature or it will be ineffective. Are you hearing me? Temperature matters. Temperature matters. We, we, we've got the right vaccine, man. That, but, but because we're delivering it on a garbage plate in 90 degrees, sweltering uh, midsummer's heat where it feels like hell outside, nobody, it's ineffective. Come on. Hell, that's the perfect time to preach on hell when it feels like hell outside. No. <laughs> Temperature matters. Last point, we need to understand everything Jesus did was driven by his mission. See, Jesus didn't just go out to stir, to stir up controversy. Now, he knew he would probably cause it. But his end game wasn't to stir up controversy. His end game was always people. So he went to Matthew, this known tax collector, knowing that Matthew would invite other tax collectors and sinners. He knew it would stir up controversy. But I also only knew this, that's going to open up the, the opportunity for me to show people what it's like to have a relationship with God, not a list of rules. See, as a Jew or Jewish rabbi, there were lines you simply did not cross. There were people you did not share a table with or a meal with. Yet Jesus was also setting a table, always setting a table for the outsiders. Jesus was always crossing racial lines. Come on. Ethnic lines, religious lines. He was always crossing them. Why? Because he was driven by his mission. Remember John chapter 4? Jesus and his disciples were heading back to Galilee. And in John 4 chapter 4 it says this. Jesus had to go through Samaria. When it says that, it doesn't mean there was no other way to Samaria. There were other routes. 
In fact, good Jewish people didn't go through Samaria. Because Samaritans, they were considered half-breeds. And they didn't have anything to do with them. But Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. Why? There's a table I've got to set for a young lady that's going to be at the well. At the hottest part of the day. And I've got to get there to set that table so that when she sits at it, she's going to be seen. Not talked about. Not looked down upon because of her past. She's going to be seen. And I've said it. I've got to go through there so I can set the table with grace. Acts 10. I love this story. Centurion by the name of Cornelius has this angel. He's a Gentile. He has this angel show up says, Hey, I need you to send men down to Joppa. Bring back a guy by the name of Simon Peter. Cornelius sends his men to find Peter while, while this is happening. Well, Peter uh, uh, goes up on the rooftop to pray. He gets hungry, wants something to eat. Well, then while the food's being prepared, the Bible says he kind of goes into this trance. Well, this sheet comes down from heaven. And all these animals that are considered unclean. All these animals that are considered unclean begin to show up. And God says, hey, get up and go eat. Peter's so proud. He says, hey, God, I've never touched anything unclean. I've never eaten anything unclean. And you know what the angel of the Lord says? God says to him, says this, what I've made clean, don't you call it impure or unclean. Don't call anything impure that I have made clean. Now get up. You're about to have your mind blown because you're going to taste bacon for the very first time. <laughs> it didn't say that, but that's what I felt like happened. You know what God is telling? You know what God's telling Peter in this moment? Go set a table for people you normally would not sit with. Can I tell you this? Man, oh, I, it's not even in my nose. Your table shouldn't just be all elephants, all donkeys. Are you getting my drift? Your table shouldn't be all white, all black, all Hispanic. Your table should include people from every background. See, I don't have to agree with you to show you I love you and I respect you. If that was the case, men and Denise would not have made it 31 years of marriage. I'm, honestly, I'll say stuff and she'll be like, I can't believe you just said that. Still to this day, I'm like, really? 31 years? You don't think that would come out of my mouth? Share a table with them. With them. And you know what happened when Peter gets up and they show up and they tell him the story. Peter goes back to Cornelius' house. And I love this because it says, Peter walks in the room to share a table with Cornelius, a Gentile. And the room is filled with people that want to hear the gospel. That don't happen unless you open up your table to everybody else. See, me and Ben, if we sit down and have a meal, 
I'm, I'm not sharing the gospel with Ben. Hopefully, he's my youth pastor. He already knows the gospel. He's already saved, hopefully. Um, and to be honest, if I go out with someone I know is not a Christian, the first thing out of my mouth is not, hey, do you know Jesus? You know what I do? I develop a relationship. In fact, I, I texted a guy this past week that used to come here that I've been missing. I said, hey, hey, you, just need, you need to know this. Your friendship matters more to me than whether you show up at church or not. I love you as a friend. And that's what our table should be. That, that's where conversations get started. When they care, when they know you actually care about them. Not whether or not they're, not, not if they're a number on your, I got this one saved, I got this one. No, no. Do you care? But that only happens when you set a table and sit down with them. See, in both these situations, God has been driven by the mission. People. That's why he sent his son, people. And we've got to be driven, guys, by our mission, by our vision that God has given us. What is our mission and vision statement? It's out there on that back wall now. Love God, love people, serve others. I can tell how much you love God by how much you love people. And so can they. If you look at someone and the first thing you see is a sinner, a tax collector, an addict, you need to change your perspective. And you need to see someone that God sent his only son to die for. That's how important they were. Stand with me across the street.